wonderful journey in the book of Acts. And as we read along, we cannot help but be caught up in the momentum as it builds in the early church. I think that momentum is what happens when the people of God move over to the passenger seat and the Holy Spirit takes the wheel. Not only is the Holy Spirit at work here in these pages, but also we have Luke's exceptional storytelling capacity, so it can't get any better. I'm sure you've noticed that the first 12 verse chapters of Acts are all about Peter. We could call it the Acts of Peter. He is in the starring role. We watch him as a leader navigate challenges and recognize opportunities when they happen. Now, we've had a brief introduction to Paul as he was converted, but in chapter 13, if you're up with the readings, it's all about Paul from then out. Peter sort of disappears uh, off stage, and it's all about Paul. I'm glad we've got one more Sunday with Peter. Peter and his vision. Russ mentioned that very peculiar vision. Uh, last week, but we're going to look at it again this week because the Spirit continues to work through that vision in some amazing ways. Unstoppable Spirit is also going to be needed to assist Peter when he faces some angry leaders in Jerusalem. That's where we pick up now. Listen to the details, and let me encourage you to keep your Bible open there because we're going to continue reading a little bit later. The reading today comes from Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 12a. Now the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them, step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, by no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time, the voice answered from heaven, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times, then everything was pulled up again to heaven. 
At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. Here ends the reading, the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, I need to confess to you that as I was working on this vision uh, this week, my brain made a connection with an episode of Iron Chef. Let me explain. The challenger that day was a brilliant young chef named Viet Phan, so talented in his modern American cuisine that his restaurant in Salt Lake City had been nominated for James Beard Award. Now he's in Nashville dazzling the diners there. A very bright, creative young man. And if you watch the show, you know that challengers get to pick which of the Iron Chefs they will compete against. Fawn picked Bobby Flay. Now, the secret ingredient to this particular uh, episode could not have been more ordinary. Ground meat. There wasn't any ground meat on that sheet that was in the vision, but help me, stay with me here for the connection. Ground lamb, ground chuck, ground turkey, ground pork, ground veal. So the two chefs go right to work, taking this ordinary ingredient and trying to create something impressive out of it, something that one of the judges described as rustic yet sophisticated. Isn't that the way you always try to cook? Rustic yet sophisticated? I don't think I've ever gotten to sophisticated, but my stuff is pretty rustic. So here are some of the dishes they created with this ground meat they created. One of the chefs created deconstructed borscht, moussaka layered with sliced eggplant, chorizo meatballs with peach ginger relish, and listen to this one. Beef fat ice cream with cherries and a crumble composed of cocoa and ground meat. I know you're going to be rushing for that recipe this afternoon. <laughs> I know you're going to be looking for it. Let me just say, if you were at a restaurant and beef fat ice cream was on the menu, would you order it? I don't think so. I don't think so. Now, if you watch the show, you know that about halfway through the competition, the chairman introduces a culinary curveball. That's an additional ingredient that has to be incorporated in dishes that are already well underway at the time it's announced. So the chefs have to leave whatever they're working on and dash across the room where the chairman comes in with a cart, with a culinary curveball hidden from side, with a linen cloth, and then the spotlight, and then voila! This time, beautiful, beautiful prawns. Prawns that now have to be inserted in recipes that were never intended to include prawns. The curveball is always part of the excitement. Now, how is it that I remember all the details of this particular episode? It's because Viet Pham beat Bobby Flay, and that doesn't happen very often. Now, you're wondering, 
why am I telling you all of this about Iron Chef? Because I truly believe that when that vision was delivered to Peter, God was throwing Peter a culinary curveball. Peter, as a faithful Jew, had been observing dietary law his entire lifetime. It is one of the things that sets his people apart and makes them distinct. Now, God was suggesting that maybe all that was a thing of the past. God was challenging with this vision and a lifetime of obedience on the part of Peter. It was a big ask. It was a significant curveball, and Peter needed some time to process it. But little by little, in the events that follow, that vision that he receives on the rooftop, the Holy Spirit helps Peter know exactly what that vision is all about. I think that's one of the ways the Holy Spirit also works in the 21st century. So I'm excited about this, and I want to just take a minute to explain. Now imagine if it is your practice to have some quiet time each morning before you head off on your adventures. Imagine that as you're praying, as you are reading scripture, a thought comes to you. A fairly ordinary thought, maybe it's something you need to do, someone you need to see, a decision that you have been putting off. But with the thought on this day, there is some urgency. Some urgency to make something happen. You feel God moving in that. However, as luck would have it, you're going to have a very busy day, and so you set it aside to deal with later. And then, in the course of the day, a series of random, seemingly unconnected events happen that draw you back to that thought that you had that morning in your quiet time. Maybe words of a podcast you're listening to or part of a conversation you have with a friend by the coffee pot at work. Maybe it is uh, reading the paper in the evening. Maybe you're standing in line at the grocery store chatting with the person who's also waiting that you haven't ever met before and something she says makes this connection in your mind to what that thought was in the morning. And then, when you have your time of quiet reflection in the evening, if that is your spiritual practice, you see the alignment. You see, because of the work of the Holy Spirit, the connection that's being made to God at work in your life. I'm hoping lots of folks have experienced that. Now, can you bulldoze your way through life and never pay any attention to that? Absolutely. That's your choice. But if you slow down, if you watch for the way the Holy Spirit marks the trail with reminders of God's presence, you discover a life so much better than the life you have settled for so far. And the more you pay attention the easier it is for the Spirit to help align you with what God is doing in the world and what God wants to do in your life. So let's see what happens in this sequence with Peter to illustrate. Remember, he receives the vision three times because it's a curveball. 
and he sets it aside because somebody's knocking at the door. It's the soldiers who've been sent by Cornelius. Peter welcomes them in and makes them feel right at home and invites some of his Jewish friends over, and they all enjoy a meal together. The next day, the soldiers take Peter and also the friends to Caesarea to meet with Cornelius and Cornelius's household, and the Holy Spirit shows up big time. Lives are changed. New believers are baptized. For Peter, the vision is taking on some clarity, clearly about much more than dietary laws. Now, as you notice at the beginning of our scripture reading today, the Jerusalem leaders aren't so pleased with the reports they are getting from Caesarea, and they summon Peter to Jerusalem to speak to them. These leaders haven't received any vision. As they are operating under the previous system, they think that Peter's breaking dietary laws and laws about table fellowship left and right, and they want to have a word with him. So Peter begins to tell the story of the vision, and in the words that Luke uses, step by step, point by point, Peter is being especially persuasive. His words have a unique, convincing quality for the leaders. First, he shares the story of the vision. Then he describes the knock at the door. And then in verse 12, we heard a minute ago, he says to the leaders, the spirit told me to go with the soldiers Cornelius had sent and not to make a distinction between them and us. Peter is addressing the concerns of the leaders head on with this. He's letting them know he was following the instructions of a higher authority. Then look at verse 15, where Peter explains what happened that day with Cornelius. As I began to speak, Peter says, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how Jesus had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave to us when we believed in Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? Peter is attempting the impossible here. He's attempting to establish a link between the Jewish church, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, and the first Gentile outpost. And with those words, the heart of his message, Peter, who is a great communicator, stops talking. And what do you think happens next? Complete silence. Not a word. Don't you imagine Peter's heart beating fast, wondering if the silence is because they're still unhappy about the baptism of Gentiles, or maybe they're planning to remove him from leadership. I think what was happening in the silence that day in that room was that the spirit was at work. In my very limited observation of the life of the church, I think silence is where the Spirit does some of her best work. So the silence continues. 
Silence, as the way Luke describes it in the original language, means the objections, the arguments fell away. They dissolved. They were gone. And then after the silence, a worship service broke out. People singing and praying and hugging each other and tears streaming down their cheeks. They praised God, saying, God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. Now, that sentence in the scripture, I wish it didn't have the word even in it. God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. I would like it better without even. But the great thing about what their revelation was, was it was so clearly the work of God. This wasn't a group of leaders saying, hmm, this seems like an interesting idea. Maybe we should form a task force. These are leaders who know this is God's gift. This is God's work. This is the same gift we have received. This is God bringing life to the Gentiles through the gospel. What happens on that day in Jerusalem is repentance in a different way of understanding it. Repentance could describe how the leaders in Jerusalem are arriving at an expanded idea of what God is about and what God has made possible through Jesus Christ. In this story, everyone is converted. Outsiders, insiders, everyone learning something new about the scope of the gospel and the growth of the church. And for the leaders, it takes them by surprise. In giving the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles, God is taking down the church down a road it did not expect to travel. And off they go. Would you pray with me, please? Surprising God. Take these words from Scripture and show us how to understand your work in the church today. Surprise us with your spirit. We pray in the name of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen.
I love the anthem that the choir just sang. It was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you all so much. And there's one line that really stuck out to me. Oh God, we pray for unity. Give guidance from above. And our differences unite us in your circle of love. The Spirit has drawn us in together into the circle of God's love around this table, where Jesus invites every single person to share in this holy meal. And once we have shared in the gifts of God's love together, the Spirit goes with us when we leave this place out into the world. And whatever meal we have, whatever table we gather around, the Spirit is with us, and God is working amongst us and through us to bring light and love to everyone we encounter. So it is with joy that we give thanks as we remember that Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. And he also took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for everyone. As often as you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. Let us pray. Eternal God, grant that the eating of this bread and drinking of this cup reminds us once again of your never-failing love. From the inner strength of these quiet moments, may we discover the deeper meanings of what it means to be Christian. Amen. Amen.